Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and I am here minutes after the end of Rams 49ers. Lots of thoughts about both of the conference championship games, a little bit of my frustrations, some of the ideas I had coming off of those games. We'll take a glance at what the Super Bowl is going to look like, but of course, we've got a whole two weeks to build up to that, and we'll we'll worry about it the closer we get to that. But today's show going to be fun, not going to go too, too deep, because I want to do at some point during this week a recap where I'm going to go back and rewatch both of the conference championship games, look at it from the All-22, or the little film Twitter type things, go back and read some more stuff, listen to some more stuff, absorb some more information to get a, more of an understanding. That's always what I'm looking for, and always part of my process when I'm doing things for the show. I want to have the best information possible to give you, and the way I operate, I like to form my own thoughts, and then I like to go read what other people do, what other people come up with, compare that to what I saw, and then go back and watch the tape and see if I disagree or agree with what those people were saying. So it's a way for me to form a little bit more of a detailed opinion, and it makes things... It just makes me better at my job, because the more information I'm exposed to in this space, the better I'm going to be, because I'm going to learn more things from gathering other people's perspective. It's why I'll never understand people's unwillingness to interact with views outside of their own in the sports space, because it's one of the more frustrating things about legacy media right now is that because everything is reduced to a take show, there are no authentic opinions anymore. Everybody's just... Checking their box of, okay, if this person's arguing for the color white, I have to argue for the color black. If they're arguing for punting on fourth and short, I got to argue to go for it instead of authentically arguing what they believe in. That's why uh, on this show, I like to present my opinion. I'll go back and I'll look what's going on out there in the world, see if other people are agreeing with me or disagreeing with me, and we'll go from there. Okay, that's a little bit of the introductory preamble because I do have some takes. I do got to get some takes off about some of the coaching decisions in particular, some of the play-calling stuff that'll irk me going forward that I'll be thinking about. I'll be thinking about it. Probably not as much as Kyle Shanahan will be or as much as Andy Reid will be, but I digress. Before I get to today's show, a few things. Number one, Friday was awesome getting to be there for Henrik Lundqvist night. Got to see a lot of people who I interact with on a regular basis, people who enjoy the show. That was very cool. Got to pay my respects to the great Henrik Lundqvist, one of the most significant figures in the history of New York sports, probably my favorite athlete ever, probably always will be my favorite athlete ever, and it was really cool to get to be there for them, raising his number to the rafters. A lot of drunk assholes ruining the moment, yelling during his speech, as opposed to, you know, just letting the man talk, because it was dead silent, because people were trying to listen, so ignorant people felt obligated to yell, obnoxious comments, but... Hey, I, I can't control all the drunken assholes. I was kind of emotionally overtaken by the moment. I just kind of stood there silently trying not to cry. Okay. Next, please support the show, whatever means you can. Subscribing to the show, whatever podcasting platform you like to use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Stitcher, we're available on all of those platforms. If you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a written review. Go to the show's page. On Spotify, you got to listen to a few episodes before you can leave a review. But once you've done that, please leave a written review. If you're using Apple Podcasts, you go to the show's page. You scroll down to the bottom. Past our recent episodes, there's a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please, please, please 
leave a few words, leave your content creators engagement. That stuff matters a whole lot. It helps us out immensely. It takes you guys just a minute. It's completely free. It's really helpful as a content creator. Okay, I'll see you guys in one second. We'll talk about the games, do a little bit of big picture conversation about where you go from here, and I'll see you guys in a sec. Okay, and with that, we will get on into it. I want to start with this as a framing point, uh, a launching point for this conversation for today's episode. It was a point that uh, Mitchell Schwartz made with Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Podcast during the week last week, and it was a good starting point for this conversation, thinking about the conference championship games, because these are usually... These are the cream of the crop teams that the rest of the league is looking for ways to crib note ideas, whether it be roster construction, types of personnel, coaching, scheme. Every, the NFL is a copycat league because nobody wants to be able to work for things on their own in the NFL because that takes too much time to come up with original ideas. It's easier for other franchises, less successful ones, to copy things from the ones that are being successful. It's why every single year it's playoff teams who have their coordinators poached to become head coaches, things of that nature. So this is the point. Would you rather be a team like Green Bay that has one transcendent talent in Aaron Rodgers, you develop Devontae Adams over time, and you're always consistently a playoff team. You're always going to win 11 or 12 games because you have that one truly special player you can have to make up the difference. Or would you rather have more of a whole approach, a greater than some of its parts approach, where you might have four or five really, really good players, but nobody of Aaron Rodgers' caliber. And this is a more common approach if you don't have the special, or I'll say top 10. If you don't have a top 10 quarterback, you have to approach roster construction in this way, where it's more about acquiring talent other than the quarterback to be able to make up that difference. And obviously, it's a lot harder to get the special quarterback because there are only five or six of the special quarterbacks in the NFL. Otherwise, they wouldn't be that special. That's what makes that position so important is the scarcity of it. I mean, there are 32 teams, but only probably 20 quarterbacks who are good enough to be consistent starters that shouldn't be in a quarterback competition every single year, that kind of thing. And let's start with the first game of the day. We'll start with Kansas City and Cincinnati. And it was largely... It had a similar vibe to the first time those two teams met during Week 17. I had to go back and watch that game on tape because I was at the Jet game that week, so I didn't get to see the Bengals-Chiefs game. Even on red zone, nothing. I had to go back and watch it, had to go find it. So the thing that struck me as weird, and I talked about it on the show on Friday, on the preview episode, I said the one way I see the Bengals covering in this game is if the Chiefs get out to a big lead and then Andy Reid starts to get cute with it. You can go back and listen to Friday's episode, and that was my that was the only argument I can make for Cincinnati covering the number seven. They, of course, won outright 27-24, and Kansas City gets out to that big lead. They're winning 21-10 at the half. They have that play right before the half. There's five seconds left. The Chiefs are on about the seven-yard line, the six-yard line, and they're on the goal line, and they run 
the double whip play to the left, which they ran in overtime last week against the Bills. And last week in overtime, the play goes to Kelsey over the top for the corner because the two underneath whip routes pull the corner down. And they didn't have Kelsey on that play. So Hill, Hill is covered. He can't get open. They take the check down underneath, and they lose the yards. And Eli Apple, who got eaten alive in the first half, just a brutal first half, he makes that play before the half. And Kansas City doesn't get any points out of that. And now, that changes things just a tiny bit. At that point, you don't think there's a huge difference between 24-10 and 21-10 going into the half. But Kansas City getting the ball there, you just... It's frustrating when you think about it. And this is something I've often talked about on the show since I've started doing it, is knowing when to be aggressive and knowing when not to be aggressive. I have bemoaned teams opting to take the three points in situations like that. I will say the one thing you can count on uh, Zach Taylor and the Bengals doing is always taking the points when that situation presents itself because they trust Evan McPherson so much and he, Zach Taylor, trusts their defense enough that he's comfortable with having to play defense more as opposed to trying to outscore the other team. And that'll be an interesting discussion as we get closer to the Super Bowl is just how much the Cincinnati defense plays above its weight class, considering the types of talent is on that defense, even though there are individual guys I like. I like Jesse Bates. I like Trey Hendrickson. I've always liked Awuzier. I've always liked Mike Hilton. Even Sam Hubbard from Ohio State back in the day has had a nice playoff run for Cincinnati, but Cincinnati won this game through two means. Number one, they really really clamped down in the second half and the first two times these the first time these two teams played it was the same thing the first time these teams played kansas city got out to that huge lead and then they only scored three points the entire second half and this game they only scored three points the entire second half and it comes back to this thing about andy reed getting too cute with it feeling like once they have a big lead, he doesn't want to show anything else good because he might want to use it another time. And it's losing the trees for the forest. I, I mean, I understand that from a conceptual standpoint that if you have good things, you want to save them for the next game if you're up three possessions. But at some point, Andy, you got to start putting the pedal back on the floor. And this is a bad habit we talk about all the time across every sport. You might have the best players in, in the sport, and I think Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league. I think Tyreek Hill is one of the three or four best receivers. I think Kelsey is clearly the best tight end in the league. It's very easy to just think because you have that special talent, you're always going to be able to turn it on when you need to. It's really hard to get the train back on the tracks when you need to get it going again. And I went back and looked. I went through the box score I went play-by-play play in the game log on the ESPN app, which I do have to say ESPN's app for game recaps is perfect. It has all the pertinent stats you need. You can go back and look at every single snap of the game, and it's very helpful for doing things like this. So in the second half, on first down, the Chiefs ran the ball seven times. They threw it five times. That's not a terrible split. You, I thought it was more than... Uh, more stark than that it was a bigger discrepancy between running and passing on first down in the second half and you figure you want to burn that first 40 seconds off the clock every single time you touch the ball from a con from a philosophical standpoint i get why andy reed was choosing to do that i will say 
the play calling in the second half left something to be desired. Now, I, I just said that what I did about the first downs, seven rush, seven rush attempts to five pass attempts. The thing that really tells me how the second half went about why Cincinnati was able to get back into this game. In the second half, Tyree Kill was targeted twice. Incomplete pass and the interception in overtime. That was the only two times Patrick Mahomes targeted Tyree Kill in overtime. Of course, there could have been other plays where Tyree Kill was the designated receiver and the ball didn't go there or the play never developed. And that's part of this, that it's hard to know exactly what was supposed to happen on any given play without being in the room. But two targets, no completions, an interception and an incomplete pass. And then the thing that stood out to me was when you think of the Chiefs in those third and goal, third and shorts, those thirds and you gotta have it type plays. You know it's going to Travis Kelsey. You think about the two the plays in overtime, the one, especially the second one that gets them in the field goal range on the double move. That's because Mahomes has that synergy with Kelsey where he knows if I need to get Travis the ball, he's gonna make a play for me. There's a lot of Mecole Hardman. There's a lot Byron Pringle in that second half. Uh, I, where was Travis Kelsey? Five targets for 40 yards in the second half. And the one drive Kansas City had in the second half where they really moved the ball, they went to Kelsey three three sequences in a row. They got a first down on a five-yard play, an eight-yard play, and then they got a big play, 18 yards to Kelsey. You, got, you can't afford to lose someone like Travis Kelsey in the rhythm of the second half. And I, I understand you're playing with a lead almost the entire second half. I understand they're going to be bracketing Kelsey or they're going to be bracketing Hill pretty much every play. So you have to have one of those secondary players, whether it be a, a Pringle or a Hardman or someone out of the backfield like McKinnon or Clyde edwards Elair make a play for you. At some point, you need to get the ball in the hands of your best player in Tyreek Hill. You can't have what you did with Tyreek Hill in the second half. And it's frustrating because Hill was great in the first half. When you go back and you think about the plays in the first half, you think about that touchdown where Tyreek Hill ran the width of the end zone from left to right. You think about the shallow crosses. You think about the hitches and the sticks they were running to him just to get him the ball because they realize they're not going to be able to hit him down the field all too much. And when you can't get that play down the field, how do you make up the distance? you got to get yards after the catch. So if I throw the ball to Tyreek Hill on a curl or a hitch or a stick, and he just goes, that's fine because he can make somebody miss because he's one of the fastest humans in the history of the league. Hill had a decent game, 7 for 78 and one touchdown. He just didn't have anything in the second half. That's just so painfully frustrating when you think about it because all it need, all that game needed for it to go Kansas City's way was one more play. And now, I know I've been... The way I've been talking the first 10 minutes of the pod here, it sounds like I'm blaming Kansas City for losing this game more than I'm giving Ken more than I'm giving Cincinnati credit for winning this game. And to some extent I'd agree with that because of just how big a lead Kansas City got in on front and they did what they always do. I talk about this in my group chat with all of my friends pretty consistently. Me and one of my friends consistently talk about how Andy Reid is one of the smartest play callers in the league. But he gets in his own head, he stops being aggressive because he doesn't want to use his cool plays, and he blows these leads. This is an inexcusable loss. You cannot be up 21-10 to in a conference championship game against a team you are a touchdown favorite against 
and lose. Just flat out. That is inexcusable to blow a two-possession lead at the half to a team. You are more talented than. And that's just what it comes down to for me. And I said coming into this game, the single biggest deciding factor would be the trenches. I thought Kansas City's clear advantage on both sides of the ball, both pass rush, run stopping, and then pass pro and run blocking, was significantly better than the opposing units they would go against for Cincinnati. You know what's remarkable? Cincinnati conceded one sack the entire game, and they only lost seven yards. Kansas City's offensive line had a tougher job. They had a harder time against Cincinnati. Mahomes got sacked four times for 39 yards, and it's important I start I start here, at, at least in this thread. Three of those four sacks were Mahomes' fault for trying to do too much as opposed to just throwing the ball away. And this is where you get into the he's trying to do too much thing. And 95% of the time, because it's Mahomes, you will say, okay, he's got to do it, he's got to do it. And that's what makes that offense tick. Those plays outside of structure that only Mahomes, probably only Mahomes can make. The only human being on the planet Earth is capable of making. But today it came back and cost you. The interception was bad. The sacks were horrendous. The decision-making there at the end of the first half is why the Chiefs lost. I feel pretty confident in saying if Mahomes doesn't take that sack there and they don't run the clock all the way down, they at least get three. If Mahomes has better decision-making, even all right, even if he doesn't take the sack on the previous play, what's stopping him from throwing it away on that play with five seconds left instead of taking the check down on the play that has no chance of turning into a touchdown? That is the kind of thing that loses you games like this where the margin for error is going to be small. It sounds easy to say for me in hindsight, especially because I'm so critical of coaches for being passive. At 21-10, going up to 24-10, that matters. Being up two touchdowns as opposed to only 11, that matters in the grand scheme of how Cincinnati is going to be in the second half. And it is part of why Cincinnati felt like it had a little bit of momentum coming out of the first half. I just... I have a bad taste in my mouth if, if I'm Kansas City for the way that game went because you should have won that game. And there's going to be plenty of time between now and the Super Bowl to talk about how exciting this is for Can for Cincinnati and that Kansas City will probably be back. But it does bear worth repeating. Every team thinks they will be back. The Bills last year thought they would be back to the conference championship game, and they gave it a valiant effort last week against Kansas City. Some would even make the argument they deserve to win against Kansas City. There are no guarantees in professional sports. These are hyper-competitive, multi-billion dollar franchises all trying to cut each other's throats out. That is where we get into this perception of, well, they should have more than this because of that. And it is hard to win a championship in the NFL. Single elimination increases the variance in outcomes. Weirder things can happen when you only play one game. If it's a best of seven, more likely than not, you're going to get the better team that wins, not necessarily the streakier team or the luckier team. But when it is a one-game playoff where it is single elimination, one play can swing everything. And it sounds silly to talk about a play that happened when the game twenty was 21-10 is the swing, but... If they kick the field goal and it's 24-10, Cincinnati gets the ball coming back out of the half, that changes the way the game is going to go. I, 
looking at it right now, looking at the drives, they come out of the half, Kansas City gets the ball, Cincinnati forces a punt. Kansas City forces a punt. Cincinnati forces a punt. Field goal, they intercept Mahomes, and that's the B.J. Hill play, which is probably the single biggest play of this game. The B.J. Hill interception gives the Chiefs, excuse me, it gives the Bengals a short field, and it gives them a chance to get into a rhythm. And they score that touchdown on that play to Jamar Chase on that goal line fade, and that is just a bully ball, I am a better player than you play that very few wide receivers in this league are capable of. And Jamar Chase, as much as I think Cincinnati would have been fine if they took a wide rece- uh, an offensive lineman instead of a wide receiver at that spot, I can admit when I am wrong, and even if I think Cincinnati long-term would have been better off with Panay Sewell in there at left tackle and moving Jonah Williams over to right tackle, you can't complain when the team made the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line. And it's why Jamar Chase is so special, because they had that play. And then and then they run the two-point conversion play. That shouldn't work either. And that's the thing, man. You just... All of these plays, all of these opportunities. I mean, I'm watching NFL primetime right now, and they just showed the play in the second quarter where Mahomes danced around in the pocket for 15 seconds, was spinning and spinning, and then came back across his body and threw the tutty to Kelsey. And just, you're looking for, where's Travis Kelsey in the second half? Where's Tyreek in the second half? And the touchdown, in the first half, Kansas City was doing whatever they wanted on offense. And then second half, Cincinnati made their adjustments. They made some good adjustments. They didn't give up as much of the underneath things. They were more aggressive on the ball, forcing incompletions. They were getting after Burrow a little bit more. Trey Hendrickson had a really nice game again. I know I was I lampooned that signing at the time because they could have just kept Lawson, who went to the Jets, but it worked out for them. It worked out for them, and maybe the Bengals were on to something. Maybe you can build a team or at least one side of your ball in free agency, because most of the Bengals' key players are free agent signings. And I'm going to lament this game as a missed opportunity for Kansas City, because you just never know how many chances you're going to get, man. And we've seen this from Andy Reid before. We saw this in Philadelphia. We saw this earlier in his tenure in Kansas City with uh, Alex Smith. At some point, you got to have somebody to be like, Andy, we can't do that right now. Andy, what are we doing here? We got to be more mindful of the clock. You got to get the game management stuff down because that, no matter how good of a guy you are at scheming X's and O's, like Andy Reid is, like Kyle Shanahan is, you have to be able to manage the game. The decision-making in both of the cases of the teams that lost on Sunday, is why they lost. Yes, the players have to go out and play, and the coaches only coach. The decision-making you saw from some of those guys, and I put a lot of the blame on Mahomes because the sacks, that's just trying to do too much, man. Your pass pro was holding up pretty well. You were dancing around too long. Just throw it away. Live to get to the next down. Live to get to the next down. And the inter- the B.J. Hill interception, it happens. The ball gets batted at the line. Weird things happen. The interception in overtime is just good double teaming. And Mahomes probably shouldn't have thrown that ball. But I- I've been bitching about the Chiefs too much. Good on the, chief- good on the Chiefs for getting here. It's not easy to get to 
this many conference championships games in a row. They've only got to get to, I think, six more before they, they're tied with Tom Brady. But I do want to talk about the Bengals for a second and what Joe Burrow means to that team and why I will always... Until you have that kind of guy, I don't think you're a real contender. And we've seen the 49ers give it a run with Jimmy Garoppolo, and we're going to get to that game in a minute. You need to have somebody at that position that elevates everybody else on the field. Because in this kind of game, where the other team has as much talent or more talent than you pretty much every single week, you need to be able to make up that difference somewhere. And the easiest place to accumulate that difference is the quarterback position because they touch the ball every single play. You can see the difference between two teams based on the quarterback touching the ball every single play. And all of those little plays add up over the course of a game. All of those chunks add up over the course of a game. And when you think about how that game played out and how the momentum slowly built and how much it took Kansas City to just tie that game up at 24-21. They had to settle for the field goal because Mahomes got his shit rocked, took a bad sack, got them out of field goal range, got them where they had to settle for a field goal. Just I'm looking up at it on my screen now and just throw the ball away, Pat. I mean, he fumbles there, and luckily Joe Dooney falls on the ball, but... God, Pat, I get it that you're Superman, but sometimes Superman needs help. That's why the Justice League exists. Sometimes you just got to give the ball to Batman. Sometimes you just got to give the ball to Wonder Woman. You got to incorporate. You can't just rely on... That is maybe my single biggest gripe with some of these coaches I've seen during these playoffs. Put your players in a position to succeed, but if you're asking them to consistently be Superman... Maybe that's a problem with the scheme as opposed to them trying to do too much. Okay. Good on the Bengals for getting here. This is going to be Cincinnati's best crack at it. I say, I just said it about Kansas City, giving them credit for getting here this many times in a row. You have no way of guaranteeing you will ever get to another Super Bowl again. Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, Joe Mixon. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, this might be your one chance at it. You go here, you win a Super Bowl this year, you're never going to be held, it's never going to be held against you again because of the limitations of your franchise, of your market, of your ownership. You win a Super Bowl with the Bengals, you go down in, in the annals of history as one of the most significant players in this league because of how generally awful that franchise has been because the owners just don't care enough to spend the money. Just flat out, they have a very small skeleton scouting department. They don't have a big analytics department. They've got a small coaching staff. Joe Burrow made up that difference. It's that simple. Joe Burrow made up that difference between the Chiefs and the Bengals. And Burrow had a nice game. He made a few nice plays, especially with his legs, extending plays, trying to survive um, plays where he was kind of wrapped up, but he was able to break out of it and continue to play, making really good guys, too. Like, he wasn't shrugging off bums. Like, Joe Burrow shrugged Chris Jones off of him at one point in that game, and that that's not easy to do, man. I've been high on Burrow since he got drafted. I thought he would be good in the NFL. I don't know if I thought he would be borderline top five. I thought his high end was, like, a B-minus version of Ben Roethlisberger, because Roethlisberger's going to go to the Hall of Fame and had some really good years during his time in Pittsburgh. But 
It's that kind of stuff. It's between the ears. It's surviving long enough to make plays happen with your legs, just enough to extend the play, shrugging people off, using a little bit of your size and your agility. I hope Joe never gets to the Big Ben statue state, but it was really good to see him cook. I'm content with losing that game. I did pick the Chiefs minus 6.5 on Friday's show. I can live with that. If I bet the Bengals and I lost on some bullshit because of Zach Taylor being stupid or Eli Apple getting cooked, I would have been infuriated. The Chiefs blew it. I can live with losing my money on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, who have been very good over the last few years in these kinds of situations. Okay, changing gears now to talk about the Rams and the 49ers. Let's start with the most important play of the game. Ten minutes to go. In the fourth quarter, the 49ers have the ball. It is fourth and two. They are across midfield. They line up. They have a whole challenge review because Sean McVay burns his last time out challenging a Kyle Juszczyk inside run that was not close to being a fumble. I do not understand what McVay was doing with his challenges in the game. That was... Borderline egregious, having no timeouts left with 10 minutes in the game. You had that entire review to come up with a play to get two yards. You are winning the game still at that point. You cannot punt there. I understand you have been doing a great job on defense this entire game. Your defense is exhausted. The Rams had the ball 35 and a half minutes in that game. The Rams ran 76 plays on offense. I know you have a very good defense, Kyle. I have stumped for you for the last two years I've been doing this podcast. I have thought you are a very good schemer of offense. You cannot keep fucking up in these kind of moments and expect people to continue defending you. I will continue defending you, maybe because I'm stupid, maybe out of blind loyalty, Bud, we can't, that cannot be your play. Not only can you not go for it, but here's the problem with that entire thought process. Your play on third and two is a play you ran two times. You gave that pre-snap look two times last week against Green Bay, where you had Trent Williams line up at tight end, and you sent him in motion to seal off the edge on the opposite end of the formation. Last week, it worked the first time you ran it, and the second time you ran it, Green Bay was onto it. This week, you ran it with the wrinkle that it went to Juszczyk as opposed to the deep running back. There was not... The Rams knew the ball wasn't going behind Trent Williams, and they blew up the play. They blew up Juszczyk before he even got back to the line of scrimmage. He's lucky he got to the line of scrimmage. Juszczyk almost fumbles the ball there, but you have an entire 40 seconds commercial break. You need to have a play there, Kyle. If you do not have a play you think you can get on fourth and two... In a fourth and we go down and score a touchdown and we win this game situation, your team isn't good. Just, I know that's very bland. I know that's very knee-jerk. And if you cannot get two yards in a touchdown and you win the game situation, you're not a good team. When you have that much talent, when you have George Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, even Jawan Jennings has had decent spurts. When you have Elijah Mitchell, who has been good, that is where, that's where it tells me that Kyle doesn't believe in Jimmy. And that's, that's the fundamental flaw of this team. 
they did not trust Jimmy to make a play with the season on the line. They did. For whatever reason, Kyle said, I'd rather play defense and I'll take my chances. I can force a Stafford interception. I understand. I really, really do understand that mindset, Kyle. I do. And yes, I understand that you punt that ball away and the Rams are backed up against their own goal line. They're inside their own five. They run a play where Jaquaski Tart needs to intercept the ball flat out. That ball hits him in the numbers between the chest and it just hit the ground. That ball needs to be intercepted. That ball intercepted. That's the game. More than likely, that is the game. It'd be 17 14. The 49ers would have the ball at midfield again, and you would have been validated for your point to settle for a punt there. But because you had to do that, your drive ends, you punt, they get the ball, you give them the game away. You give the game away when you drop that interception. San Francisco concedes a field goal there, and then you're tied at 17 all. Then San Francisco can't move the ball, can't move the ball. Rams come back down, field goal, and then you have the three Jimmy G plays at the end there on the last series of the game, and you lose because Jimmy G can't make those plays outside of structure like a better quarterback can. I know I've been talking about this for a little while now that you need to have the special quarterback, but that is the difference. When you have that kind of special quarterback, they can make up the difference. And Jimmy G is a low-end starter. He's never going to be able to win you games by himself. You put him in a good system, maybe he'll make a good play or two. He won't lose you the game. He tried his damnedest to lose them the game today. There were a lot of throws that should have been intercepted that just for whatever reason weren't. And again, I know it sounds like I'm complaining more about the 49ers losing the game than the Rams winning the game, but I got to get to the Rams. Because the 49ers had a golden opportunity to win this game. You are winning 17-7 going into the fourth quarter, and to get shut out in the fourth quarter because you were too conservative on offense, and you concede 13 points, you give up the two field goals and a touchdown. Great game from Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham are the reason the Rams are going to the Super Bowl. Stafford was fine today, 31-45 for 337, but... Cooper Cup was just getting open whenever he wanted. 11 receptions for 142 yards. Odell Beckham, 9 for 113. Really good stuff from the pair of them. And we talked about this. I've talked about this. I, This was my key in this game was the trenches. I thought the 49ers would be able to get pressure with four. They wouldn't have to worry about playing coverage for too long. But they really couldn't get after Stafford that much. They only got the one sack. Very frustrating stuff there to only get one sack when you've got guys like Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. But because you weren't able to get pressure with only four, you had to stay in coverage longer. When you have to sit in coverage longer, your corners start to get exposed. And I don't hate the 49er corners. Mosley is all right. You've got Tart back there who's an okay safety. Brutal drop. But there's enough talent on that back end where you feel like you should be fine. And they didn't get gouged. They only gave up 20 points to a Rams offense that's usually in the mid-20s to low-30s. I mean, they played a decent game defensively, but the longer you play on defense, the more tired you're going to be. And to be out-possessed by 10 minutes of game time, and for the other team to run 25 more plays than you, that is a lot to put on your defense, knowing how much they got to do for you already. And Kyle, I... 
I keep coming back to this because this is a pride thing for me because I've staked a lot of my chips on Kyle Shanahan as a head coach. This was a winnable game, man. And you keep having these. You had it against Atlanta. And you had it in Atlanta when you were playing New England in the Super Bowl. You were up 28-3. to You had it in the Super Bowl two years ago when you were playing Kansas City. You were up 10 in the fourth. You were up 10 in the fourth today, and you just couldn't find it. And I talk about the run-pass splits. San Francisco's inability to run the ball today was the real problem. Like, even Debo, who was able to get 7 for 26, which isn't an atrocious run split, they couldn't do shit on the ground. Elijah Mitchell, 11 carries for 20 yards. Just absolutely next to nothing on the ground. And that's a telltale sign you're going to be in trouble as San Francisco because that is the foundation of your offense. If the defense isn't respecting your ability to run, that severely limits what Jimmy's going to be able to do because you can't do the bootlegs and you can't do all the play-action stuff and move Jimmy around if the defense isn't respecting the run because they're stopping it. And we knew coming into this game that the Rams were really good against the run. Where is it in my notes? Right here. I had it in my notes. I said it on Friday. The Rams, number one in the league at stopping the run uh, and run block win rate rush getting after it, trying to stop the run. And you think about it, when they've got that kind of talent in the box, in their down linemen and Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Von Miller, that's a lot, it's hard to run. And San Francisco made a valiant attempt to try and play bully ball with Juszczyk, with Kittle. I mean, Kittle only had two receptions because he was in there to block almost every single play because they needed him to block every single play. You can't hold up there in coverage against those guys. It is a lot to expect your offensive tackles, especially somebody like Tom Compton, who's not particularly good as your right tackle to hold up against Aaron Donald. I mean, I'm looking up right now, and they just showed the last play from scrimmage the 49ers ran before Jimmy G threw the pick. They've got Aaron Donald lined up on Tom Compton, and Tom Compton just got obliterated. Aaron Donald mauled that dude. Ridiculous to be mauled in that way. Just... I felt like San Francisco had that game won, and they shot themselves in the foot. I, I did pick the game correctly. I said if it was three, I would have bet the Rams. It was three and a half. We bet San Francisco. So the hook saves us there. We go one and one on the week. But wrapping up this talk about these two games, I always end up doing this where I talk about the team losing it more than the other team winning it at this time of year. Because the margin for error this time of year, conference championship game, Super Bowl, it is so infinitesimally small. You cannot make that many mistakes over the course of a game and expect to win this time of year. Against the mediocre and the bad teams you'll play in the regular season, you can survive making some of the mistakes that the 49ers and the Chiefs made today. Taking your foot off the gas, being a little bit passive, expecting your defense to win the game. If you're playing a mediocre team, you can get you can survive punting in a situation where you should have gone for it. But to line up, have that third down play, get nothing, a whole 40 seconds to a minute and a half for the TV timeout to review the play. Two things. Number one, if you're going to run that ball on that third and two with use check, you need to be willing to go for it on fourth down. Period. If that is your third down play call, that tells me you, you're going for it on fourth down no matter what. And you should have. 
you probably could have won the game right there if you get that first down you go down and score a touchdown would have been difficult for the 49ers to come back from 10 with eight minutes to go excuse me the rams to come back from 10 down with four, about eight minutes to go i i bemoan the loss of this opportunity because like i said before about the Chiefs, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get back here and you got to think about where you go from here i said before i expect the chiefs to be relatively around here they will probably have to go out and get one more offensive weapon for games like this because you cannot depend on Miko hardman you cannot demand on demarcus robinson or byron pringle or whatever other weapons you have aside from hill and kelsey it's been a few years of this now where when the chiefs have had a hard time on offense it's because they don't have that secondary playmaker with the ball for the 49ers i mean jimmy's done i mean it seems like a safe assumption they're going to move on from jimmy garoppolo save that 25 million dollars and address that spending elsewhere they kind of need to to justify giving up all the assets they did to move up and to get trey lance and this is the kind of game where you think somebody with Trey Lance's talent can make the difference. On a third and two or a fourth and two, if you have the threat of the quarterback zone read like Trey Lance will when he is in this offense, that's another thing the defense has to consider. But for Jimmy, the defense is going to assume we're rolling him out to one side so he only has to read half of the field to make his life easier. He's straight dropping back. Or it's going to be a running play. The more options you have, the more confusing this offense is. And I will say, I got to give credit where credit is due. There was a point in that game where I felt pretty confident it was over. That at 17-7, with about 15 minutes left to go in the game, I thought, going into the fourth quarter, San Francisco scores one more time, this game is over. San Francisco never scored. I guess I was half right, but... When I think about that game from a Ram perspective, every single time they needed a play, Odell was there. Cooper Cup was there. They didn't really get a lot out of the running game. 13 for 48 from Cam Akers, 10 for 16 yards from Sony Michelle. I mean, not exactly a, a strong effort out of the running game. And that's what these offenses are built around. You got to be able to run the ball to be able to do the play action stuff that both these teams like to do. And for the most part, neither team could run the ball. And when you can't run the ball, it's obviously going to come down to the quarterbacks. And I don't know how much better than Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford is. He's at least 20 to 17 in the NFC title game better. I don't know if Matt Stafford is ever going to be better than a B plus. I don't know if Matt Stafford is ever going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL. Dan Orlovsky might insist he is tomorrow when they start doing the talking head stuff because they are so desperate to get engagement on social media because nobody's watching their shows on cable anymore. Maybe they'll do that. I don't think Matt Stafford is that good. He's nine, ten. In that mix, he's better than anybody the Giants have had since like 2015. I'll say that much. I, 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 sitting where we are now, if you do not have Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Lamar, Josh Allen, Rodgers, maybe Tom Brady if he's coming back, he might have retired, which I'll address in the epilogue before i get everybody out of here if you don't have one of those seven guys man 
the difference between Derek Carr and one of those guys, Matt Stafford and one of those guys, we, we're going to see it in the Super Bowl. It's going to be a fascinating case study in the lessons that teams take away from this offseason. I know there are going to be a lot of teams who think they're one X receiver away from their bad offensive line not mattering because the Bengals had it work out for them. I don't know if I would trust that logic. As somebody who's watched the Giants sock balls for quite a while now because they just cannot pass protect at all. Difficult. Difficult. So, after the conference championship weekend, we are sitting at 7-5 and five against the spread. Picking playoff games. We'll have one more game, of course. We'll pick the Super Bowl when the time comes, that Friday before the Super Bowl. That'll be fun. We'll do some look-backing on this. So my plan for this week, I'm going to do one more Rangers episode before the All-Star break. Have a guest lined up for Friday because there's no NFL football this weekend. I have a guest lined up for Friday's show. We'll talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. That'll be a lot of fun. Going to try and get one more guest for this week, but if not, we'll do NFL. We'll do... We'll do one NFL, one Rangers, and then Friday. So maybe we'll try and get a second guest. But if not this week, next week we'll definitely get some guests in here to talk about the Super Bowl, talk about some other things going on in the sports world. I got to get some NBA going because it's been a while on the show because I've been a little bit lazy. I've been doing way too much NHL stuff in my free time, so I haven't been watching as much association. I got to get back on that grind. NASCAR coming back soon. F1 testing is soon. We're getting there. We're only, only a month away from that great stretch run of March Madness, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the Masters, NASCAR, and Formula One all being on at the same time. We are not far away from the best stretch of the sports calendar. But my last salvo, my last point before I get everyone out of here to to your Monday, if that is truly it for Tom Brady... I'm not going to wax poetically on about him. I'm not going to go on and on. He's the most accomplished quarterback in the history of the sport. He's got the best paper resume in the history of football. He's one of the most competitive human beings to ever exist on this planet. And that carried him. He, I talked about it on the show last week before we got to this week, talking about the conference championship games, recapping last week. Tom Brady still lives with the chip on his shoulder of being drafted 199th overall. That got him through 21 years in the league, and if that's truly it for him after that loss to the Rams, he's got nothing to be ashamed of. I would think he should come back for one more year because that division is going to be a cakewalk. Uh, If you guys have missed it, uh, the Panthers are bringing back Sam Darnold, the Saints don't have a coach or a quarterback, and the Falcons have 38-year-old Matt Ryan. I know Tampa Bay is going to lose several key players in free agency, but your path to at least the divisional round seems pretty straightforward, Tom. I would consider it. But if that's it, good for Brady. One of the best ever. I'm very glad I got to see him in person one more time this season. I got to go to the Jets-Buccaneers game, got to see him run the two-minute drill in person. That was very cool. I've seen Tom twice. The only other time I saw him, 2007. Week 17, I saw New England beat the Giants. I saw him and Randy Moss set the passing record that game. And it was really cool to get to see him in person one more time. I'm always going to say this in the context of seeing at you do not have an appreciation for how good professional athletes are unless you can see them live. Because TV, 
does not do them justice. They are so un, so much faster in person than they are on TV. And you really can't understand it unless you get the fortunate opportunity to go. And yes, I understand. I'm fortunate enough that I was able to go to quite a few NFL games this year to get a, a first-hand appreciation for just how fast the game is. And the, the way TV just doesn't do it justice. It's, it's weird to describe, but only if you go see a lot of football in person can you understand the speed difference. Okay. That'll just about do it for today's show. I do want to remind everyone again, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good Monday.